This evening's scripture is taken taken from Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Good evening and welcome again to our worship service. We are glad that you're here tonight. We appreciate your presence. It is our prayer that if you're visiting, you'll come back and be with us again. We're always thankful to have visitors with us. We appreciate so much the opportunity to be together. And we are thankful for the work of the church here. As was mentioned a moment ago, we did have a very successful fellowship meal today. And then we kicked off our focus program. And I want to express appreciation to the elders for their leadership in this particular work. And I'm grateful for the church here and how each and every member has responded. And we are thankful that we have the opportunity to be a part of such a great work. And it is our prayer that through our work together that the church here will grow and flourish as God would have it to grow and flourish. In just a moment, we're going to be looking at the book of Jonah. I would invite you to turn with me and note Jonah chapter 3, we're going to be noting the whole chapter in our study together tonight, and we're going to be thinking about the theme, reaching out to the lost. As we begin looking at the book of Jonah, of course, we find in chapter 1, God summoning this prophet in the long ago. To arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. And God said, cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. In chapter 1, at verse 2. Now, you know that Jonah did not willingly comply with God's will, initially speaking. For the Bible tells us that Jonah literally went in the opposite direction. He had been instructed to go to Nineveh, and yet the record tells us that he went to Tarshish, which was west of where Nineveh was located. Nineveh was a large city. As a matter of fact, in chapter 4, at verse 11, the Bible speaks of some 120,000 persons who were unable to discern between their right hand and their left. From this, we can assume that God here has in mind young people who have yet to reach the age of accountability. And so if there were some 120,000 young people living in Nineveh, it might be safe to conclude that the city was comprised of a little over a half a million people, maybe 600,000 people resided in Nineveh, which, by the way, was the capital of Assyria. The Assyrians were a very cruel group of people. And so when God called upon Jonah to go and to preach to these people, well, Jonah just didn't want to do it. And so we find him boarding a ship and heading to Tarshish. Well, as we get down to chapter 3, after Jonah learns his lesson, the Bible tells us that God appears to Jonah a second time. And I want us to think now for just a moment about 
his commission to the prophet. And really what God instructed Noah, or rather what he instructed Jonah to do, was to go and to preach to the Ninevite people. In verses 1 and 2, we have the command. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. What was it that Jonah was instructed to proclaim to the Ninevite people? Well, God said, I want you to preach the preaching that I bid you, or the message that I tell you. In the long ago, Haggai, another prophet of God, said that he was the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message. What was it that the Ninevite people needed to hear? They needed to hear what God had to say to them. What is it people today living in our society need to hear? Well, ultimately, they need to hear the word of God. And why would that be? Well, the Bible says that the gospel is God's power unto salvation. In Romans chapter 1 at verse 16. And so we must comply with the will of God. As a matter of fact, when the apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in his last inspired letter, he instructed him in 2 Timothy chapter 4 at verse 2 to preach the word, to be instant, in season, out of season, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Now in verse 3 we have the compliance of the prophet. The Bible says, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And so we're talking about a city of some magnitude here. Well, what was the cry that he was to announce to the people? In other words, what was the message that the Ninevite people were to hear? Look at verse 4. In verse 4, Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now let me just ask this question. If you thought that our country would be overthrown in 40 days, what would you do? How would you react? If you thought the country that you and I reside in, that we love and appreciate, if you thought all of the blessings and privileges associated with our citizenship in this country would be dissolved in 40 days, what would you do? The Bible says that Jonah had been instructed to go to Nineveh to cry against it, and he complied. Well, what about the people? Beginning in verse 5, we have the, the confession of the people. And now we're talking about their penitent hearts. Note, if you would, what is said in verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth, from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. 
But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. One of the things that was characteristic of the Assyrian people, they were a very violent, cruel group of people. And so here the king pleads with them to put away their atrocities. Verse 9, who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? A couple of things strike me about this account. The first of which has to do with the seriousness of this message. I said just a moment ago, picture if you can receiving the news that this country, as you and I know it, is going to be dissolved in 40 days. Now, you want to talk about something that would get your attention, that would be very sobering to think that this country, as we know it, would be no more, would grab our attention. The seriousness of this message I can just imagine Jonah going to Nineveh. And as he enters that city on the first day, he's crying out unto the Ninevite people. Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Forty days, thirty-five days, thirty days, twenty-five days, twenty days, ten days, five days, one day. How would you react Had you been in the city of Nineveh, how would you have responded? Would you have demonstrated the penitent heart or penitent hearts of the people of that day and time? But then also the surety of this message, not just the seriousness, but the surety. God said he was going to to destroy Nineveh in 40 days. Did God mean what he said? You better know he did. When God says he's going to do something, he means it. Now, the question is asked in verse 9, who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? The surety of God's word. I think about the word of God. I'm reminded of the fact that God says what he means, and he means what he says. God does not deal in vague and abstract terms, but rather he's very concise, he's very succinct, and he simply states it as it is. But then thirdly, we think about the compassion toward the people demonstrated by God. This has to do with his pardon. Now sometimes we think about criminals who are on death row that will receive a reprieve. Maybe the governor in the state in which they are imprisoned will pardon them. Maybe he will give them a stay of execution. Well, on this occasion, God relented. Now, historically speaking, Some 150 years later, Nineveh was ultimately destroyed. And God used a man by the name of Nahum, another prophet of God, to go and to preach to the Ninevite people. And when Nahum preached, 
the city would ultimately fall. And it did fall in about 612 B.C. But nonetheless, on this occasion, God was compassionate towards these people. So we remind ourselves of the favor and the forbearance of God. Look at verse 10. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Talk about enjoying the mercy and the grace of God. These people enjoyed it. Here were people that escaped destruction. God was going to destroy the city of Nineveh. And yet because of the penitent hearts of the people, he relented and averted destroying this city. Now, let me just ask this question. What are some lessons that you and I can glean from looking at the book of Jonah, particularly chapter 3? I think that there are some very important lessons for us in the Old Testament. Paul said, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope, Romans 15, 4. And so we can learn from the Old Testament. Well, what are some things that we can learn in looking at the book of Jonah? Number one, I believe that we can learn from this great book that God is a being of redemption. God is concerned about the souls of mankind. Have you ever wondered, why does God love you? Why does God love me? I've thought about that question on occasions. Why does God love me? What is it that makes me special in the eyes of God? What is it that, what is it that makes me somebody in the eyes of Almighty God. There might be a number of, of ways we could answer that question. But first and foremost, I think about the fact that I am the product of an Almighty God. The psalmist said in Psalm 139, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, God said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Verse 27 says, In the image of God made he them, male and female made he them. We are the products, we are the offspring of God. And because of that, because of the fact that we are the crown of his creation. He is our creator, and so he loves us. Those of you that have children, how much do you love them? Why do you love them? Do you love them because of their physical beauty? Do you love them because they excel in a particular area of education? Is it because they are... A great athlete? No, you love them because they are literally bone of your bones and flesh of your flesh. The psalmist said in the long ago, He knoweth our frame. He remembereth 
that we are dust. God has made us. And God loves us. And because of his love for us, he has made it possible for us to enjoy redemption. Jonah had difficulty understanding why God would want, would want to save a group of people, a nation of people that were so bloodthirsty, that were so cruel and inhumane. And I think that's one of the reasons why initially Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. But to me, Jonah suggests that God is interested in humanity. He's interested in the entirety of humanity. God's not just interested in one group of people, in one nationality of people, in one race of people. God is interested in all people. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Timothy 2 verse 4. God would have all men, A-L-L, God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In 2 Peter chapter 3 at verse 9, the Bible says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God was interested in the Ninevite people. Jonah may not have been interested in them, but God was. In chapter 4, after God averted destroying the city of Nineveh, Jonah got mad about it and began to pout. Because he knew that's what God would do. We need to have compassion for those who are in this world. Do we understand that people are lost and dying in sin? You and I, we live in DeSoto County. And DeSoto County is growing by leaps and bounds. And every person that lives in this county has a soul. A soul that will live forever. And so I think that there is a sense in which we need to view people from an eternal vantage point. We need to understand that people are caught up in sin. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 And because of sin... People are lost. That's what Paul said. In Romans chapter 6 verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Because people are lost, they need a redeemer. Go back to Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve succumbed to temptation in the Garden of Eden. God had said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Speaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They transgressed the law of God. What did God do? Well, we read verse 15, God intervened. He interposed. He set forth the promised seed. And the promised seed would ultimately be revealed as our Redeemer. God is interested in the redemption of mankind. If you wanted to sum up the Bible in one word, it would be salvation. God is interested in all of us. He's interested in our salvation. God is for us. He wants us to be saved. But then there's a second lesson I think we can glean from looking to the book of Jonah. This has to do with the fact that we need to live in a state of readiness. Look again at Jonah chapter 3. 
Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Now note verse 3. In verse 3, the Bible says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Jonah initially rebuffed the Lord and his request for him to go to Nineveh. But after spending time in the belly of a whale, he had the opportunity to rethink some things. And so now he is a ready servant. This morning we had our fellowship meal, our focus meeting. And I want you to understand that whatever you do for the cause of Christ in this location is important. Each and every one of us are important in the eyes of God. And all of us have roles to fill. And so I think that it's incumbent on us to recognize that we all play a vital part in the advancement of the cause of Christ in this community. And so we need to have a ready heart and mind. We need to live in a state of readiness. We need to be ready to serve. There is a statement found in 1 Samuel chapter 21 verse 8 that I think is very appealing to those of us that are New Testament Christians. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, 8, the Bible says the king's business requires haste. Are we members of a kingdom? Absolutely. We are members of the kingdom of God. Do we have a king? You better believe it. Our king is Jesus. His business requires what? It requires haste. When God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, Jonah arose and went. When God instructs us through his word to fulfill his will here on earth, the question is, do we have a ready mind? Do we have a ready heart? Are we in a state of readiness? Are we willing and ready to move upon instruction? Forty days and Nineveh will be destroyed. They were under the constraints of time. You and I, we live in a world that is dominated by time. We are under the constraints of time whether we like it or not. God is a being that is not under the superintendence of time like we. But we are. And because of that, the clock is ticking. Every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every month of every year is vitally important. What are you going to do with the time that God has allotted you? Paul said, redeeming the time because the days are evil. One of the things that I guess has really come home to me this past year is the fact that Braden will be going to college next year. It's hard for me to believe that in just a few months he'll be severing the apron string. He'll be gone. In all likelihood, he won't be coming back home to live. Now, I don't say that 
from a negative vantage point, we rear our children with the expectation and hope that they will go out and be able to live on their own. But I'm reminded of how fast that time has gone. Listen, time is fleeting. The psalmist said, The days of our years be threescore and ten, if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet there is strength, labor, and sorrow. It is soon cut off and we fly away. You may live to be seventy or eighty years of age, but time is running out. And one day, we'll step out onto the plains of eternity. And the question will be at that point, what did you do with the time that God allotted you? Did you influence others for the cause of Christ? Did you remember during your tenure here upon this earth that the king's business required haste. Sometimes we want to procrastinate. We need not procrastinate because today may be the only day we have. That's why the psalmist said, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Use your time wisely. Thirdly, Responsibility. The book of Jonah says to me that we cannot run from our responsibility. We may try. Jonah tried to run from his God-appointed responsibility. God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. Jonah didn't do that, initially speaking. The work of the church is in your hands. It's in my hands. We are a team together. We may ignore our responsibilities. We may shirk our responsibilities. We may procrastinate in light of our responsibilities, but they are still there nonetheless. Sometimes we try to run from our responsibilities. We know the Lord wants us to do certain things, but we just don't do it. Jonah says you can't run from your responsibilities. At some point in time, you have to stand up and recognize that those responsibilities have to be fulfilled. The work of the church, evangelism, edification, benevolence. Those are works of the church that we read about in the New Testament. The New Testament has not changed. Those responsibilities have been entrusted into our hands. The words of Jesus still read, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I may ignore that responsibility. I might try to run from that responsibility. But guess what? The book still reads, Go. The same is true with regard to benevolence. Let us, as we have opportunity, do good unto all men, especially them which are the household of faith. Galatians 6, verse 10. In verse 2, Paul said, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I might ignore that. I might shirk my responsibilities in relationship to those duties, but nonetheless, the book still reads. 
Do good unto all men. Bear one another's burdens. The point is simply this. You have responsibilities. I have responsibilities. And ultimately, we're going to give an account to God for whether or not we fulfilled or discharged our responsibilities. Paul said we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. When you stand before the Lord on the day of judgment, on the day of judgment, will you, will you be able to say to the Lord, I fulfilled my responsibilities. I did what you instructed me to do in your word. Jonah was instructed to reach out to the lost. We're instructed as God's people to reach out in a number of ways. The question is, will we fulfill our responsibility? I appreciate each of you. I appreciate your, your spirit, your desire to do what's right. The fact that you want to serve the Lord faithfully in this area. One of the things that comes to mind is the fact that a spirit of servanthood is contagious. And if you dig in and do everything that you can for the cause of Christ in this area, you will inspire others to greater heights of service. The book of Jonah is an inspiration. Even though we're talking about events that occurred nearly 2,800 years ago. Tonight we ask the question, are you a Christian? Have you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Did you know that God is interested in the salvation of your eternal soul? God wants you to be saved. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What would you need to do? You need to believe Jesus is the son of God. You need to put your faith and trust in him. You need to be like the eunuch of old who said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. Acts 8, 37. Would you be willing to repent, to turn from sin, be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins? Acts 2, verse 38. When you do that, the Bible says God adds you to the church. And you become a part of the saved. And the beauty of that is if you live faithfully, the Lord will bestow on you a crown of life, Revelation 2, at verse 10. Are you faithful to the Lord? If you're not faithful to the Lord, then I plead to you, come home tonight. Why not resolve in your heart this very hour, you're going to rededicate your life. You're going to repent of anything that might be amiss in your life. You're going to come back to the Lord, and you're going to dedicate your, ser your life to his service. You're going to be faithful. Could we pray with you and for you? And God will abundantly pardon. First John 1 John 1.9. Would you come as we stand and sing?